I don't have to do this very often, but when it happens, it is important to me that I do it. I made an error last week in the sermon and it's on the internet and you're here and as much as I love it and as much as it was scripture filled and as much as it's still not wrong, it was inaccurate and it bothers me more that it was inaccurate than it does that I made a mistake. It really does. And I don't, I tell you all the time, I'll be wrong once. I don't want to be wrong twice. And the individual who made me realize it loved what I said and was awesome and said, hey, I'd never heard that before. Show me where that is in scripture, you know? And I went and looked it up and I went, well, foot. Here's what I said, okay? I was quoting scripture, which I do all the time. And you guys know, sometimes my mouth goes faster than my brain. And I was talking about how uh, he opened not his mouth, right? In Isaiah, there is a prophecy about when Jesus is tried, he doesn't give anything to convict himself. He prophesies that Jesus opens not his mouth. And then I said these words, and between the throne and among the elders, I saw the lamb standing as though he was slain. Now, those verses coincide. The ideas behind them coincide, but they're actually in separate places. The Isaiah one talks about him opening not his mouth and heading for his crucifixion, all right? And the lamb opens not his mouth and between the throne and among the elders I saw the lamb is in the revelation. The problem is not that I said they were in one place. The problem is as a whole, I called it prophetic. You can't be prophetic in the revelation. Prophecy comes before. The revelation comes after. And I talked about the, the, the idea of Jesus being between the thrones, the toss back and forth between the two leaders. That's still the case. But now it's a symbolic reference and not a prophecy. The lamb standing as though he was slain. That happened. He was there beaten, bloody, bruised before them, the, the lamb. But it was a symbolic reference backwards, not a prophecy forwards. There are more than 50 prophecies just about the, the road to the cross alone and him opening not his mouth is one and him standing uh, as the lamb before them is one. But the way I said it, putting them together and uh, alluding to its prophecy was inaccurate. And I wanna, I wanna own that and I wanna correct that, okay? So that's where we are. There are a ton of prophecies that are going to occur for the next several weeks that were said way, uh, way back in many of the books of the Old Testament and they will happen all the way through the cross, including today when we find them uh, gambling for his clothes, all right? That's, you know, prophetic references all over the place that said these things were all gonna happen. We're gonna be in Luke 22. All right, we're gonna take on two passages that aren't as well known. I'm sure you've heard them, but they're not as well known. And a part of it only Luke gives in the narrative. Matthew, Mark, and John do not give a couple of these things. We're gonna be in chapter 22 of Luke. We're gonna start in verse 26. As the soldiers led him away. All right, so the trial has happened. It was a crock. It was baloney. It was done all wrong, but 
Even God uses the worst of things to keep his will, his way moving forward. They seized Simon of Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. So here's what's happened. One of the most humiliating parts of the, the crucifixion process was that they put the cross beam. Now, a lot of people have the idea that it was, it was the, the entire cross, but historically it would have been the cross beam that he would have already maybe been lashed to or they had to carry it because sometimes they were tied, sometimes they were nailed and he would have had this cross beam. But Jesus had been whipped, beaten, bruised, battered, flogged, literally almost cut down. It was, I, I don't want to give you a description because it, it's actually a, a nightmare. It would be very gross. There would have been very little left. There would have been very little left of him from here to here. Literally, the shell of him would have been completely exposed after 40, 39 times nine tails ripping open. And now they've got him carrying this heavy beam. We know that he stumbled and somebody looks over and says, you, and it was Simon of Cyrene. That would be uh, North Africa, okay? He's probably traveled in for the feasts, for the celebration, and he's in town and he's there and that just who is picked out of the crowd, all right? The coolest thing, and I don't know if it's cool, but I love nuggets. The best nugget that I found about, about this, this guy said, you know what I have the hardest time with? Not that Jesus couldn't carry the cross, not that they made him carry the cross, not that this guy Simon of Cyrene got to step up and carry the cross, because that's really cool. My problem is the people who loved, honored, walked with, talked with, and were friends with Jesus weren't there to carry it. Some of the kids this weekend, some of the questions they were asking alluded to, what if I decide I don't want to believe? What if I make a choice that's not for Jesus because I don't know if everybody in my circle, all of my friends are going to love me or not love me if I stand up for Jesus, or I don't even know if my circle of friends who love Jesus will still love me if I deny Jesus, right? How do we look as believers when the really hard times hit us and we disappear? When Jesus needs us at the most and we are nowhere around, when the church needs you at the most and you are nowhere around, when believers need you and God has called you and you just abandon all of it because it's just too hard, it's just too scary, you might get crucified too. I think Jesus would look at us and say, didn't I tell you it was gonna be this way? I mean, it would be just like if I call a kid out here in about 10 minutes and then they get mad at me. Didn't I tell you I was gonna do it? Didn't Jesus say, if you're gonna come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? Didn't I tell you this was coming? Yeah, then where are you? This is why Jesus says one of the most difficult things 
And I do say Jesus said, because we believe with all our heart that the revelation was the appearance of the Son of God after the crucifixion when he appeared to John and he gave him the letters to the churches. And he says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true. I know your deeds, you're neither hot nor cold. This is why he says, I wish you were either one or the other. If you're not gonna choose me, stay away from me. If you don't wanna stay away from me, then go all in for me because I don't need, nor do I want, nor can I handle a life with anybody who's half in it. When I needed my disciples most, no disciples were close enough. A large number of people were following, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Okay, if you just read right through this, the thought process here is that these women are incredibly sad because of what's going on. That is true and not true, okay? Here's why. When you were convicted of a crime, all right, you didn't get a funeral. <laughs> you didn't get a procession, all right? You were taken and killed and that was that. These women who are mourning and wailing are the funeral goers, okay? Back in that day, they would line the streets and there would be special lamentations and special things that were said and special things that were uttered and special songs that were sung and people weren't paid to mourn you, but that's what the mourners were. They were people who, who mourned your death to celebrate your life. Jesus was convicted of a crime, but had a street full of people basically giving him a funeral. That's what this verse is telling us. There are mourners and wailers and people singing songs to, 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 to make sure that Jesus gets the funeral. It's a lot like later when we'll get to the women who come and to do the proper burial. He didn't get a proper burial. So even though he's already been dead and in the tomb, there's women later who go to the tomb to uh, do the, take care of the body, all right? Perfume, all the stuff. During this mourning and wailing funeral procession process, Jesus turns and says one of the more odd things in the scripture. Okay, his body's falling apart. He's now got the strength to walk, but he's not carrying the beam anymore. Simon is carrying it. He hears all of this going on and he knows it's not supposed to be going on, but he also knows that it was going to be going on because he's God and God knows everything. And so he stops the processional to say these words. A lot of things he could have said all along. Here's what he chooses to say. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. The time, the time will come when you say, blessed are the childless women. Wait, what? The time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now, I don't mean to be anything, but what? Your body's ripped apart. You've been accused of something you did not do. 
You've been tried in about four different locations by multiple people who are doing nothing right. They've beaten you, spit on you, bruised you, flogged you, stuck a crown on your head, made you carry your cross for something you did not do. And your speech is, why are you crying for me? Cry for everybody else. Pretty soon, you're gonna be celebrating women who can't have children. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. Let me see if I can't give you two thoughts that cover what he's trying to say. Do you remember when he would say something like the temple was torn down, but it would be restored in three days? Didn't you, didn't you remember when he said, I have to suffer these things in order to bring God's glory? And he said them to the disciples more than one time, yet every so often the disciples would say, it ain't gonna happen. Hey, uh, I gotta die for you guys. It ain't gonna happen. Hey, you're not gonna die. We'll protect you at all costs. And Jesus says, well, get thee behind me, Satan. It's like, I told you it was gonna happen and you don't get it. And I told you it was gonna happen and you don't get it. That's what this first part is. Why are you crying? Because I'm going to the cross. Cry for the people who don't get, comma, kind of like you, comma, why I'm going to the cross. What I'm doing is exactly what is supposed to be done. Where I'm going is exactly where I'm supposed to end up. What is happening is exactly what is supposed to happen. Just because you wanted me to be king doesn't mean I'm going to be the king you thought I was gonna be. Just because I wanted you to break the chains doesn't mean I'm going to break the chains you thought I would break. Just because you wanted me to ascend doesn't mean I'm going to ascend to the throne you think I'm going to ascend to. This goes back to things that I've said always and I'm going to say it again in two more chapters. I'm thankful that God did what God wanted to do and not what everybody thought that he should do. I'm thankful that he didn't become the king of Israel, but he became the king of kings. I'm thankful that he didn't save his life. I'm thankful that he gave his to save ours. Don't weep for them. And if you're going to weep, weep for the children because 30 years from now, it's all going to come crumbling down. One cross is not gonna be one cross. Rome is gonna put up hundreds of crosses and it's going to be your children on those crosses. Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. That's why you will be thankful for barren women because barren women won't have to go through the excruciating madness of watching their children hang. That's what he's saying. You want painful? You'll be weeping for extra painful. Everything you think you know is going to be destroyed. <laughs> and if you can't understand this when the good is happening, it might look bad, but it's good. When winter ends, it still might look bad. When the grass starts to grow and the weeds start to come up too, we're all complaining about mowing the yards. We're all complaining about how the trees still don't look like we'd like them to, how the weather's up and then down and then up and then down. But this is spring. This is when new life is coming. This is when hope is restored. If you whine when hope is being restored, how are you gonna whine when hope is gone? That's what Jesus is saying. 
He's doing the, the, the old show with Urkel. Did I do that? I don't, don't you get it? He's saying, man, you guys have followed me around this country and listened to my stories and watched me hold the children and watched miracles happen and heard what I've said and you've talked about blessing me and chasing me and praying with me and being alongside me. You've even called me the Messiah and you treated me exactly like the Bible said you were gonna treat me when I came into Jerusalem and all of these things feel true and sound true but you still don't get it here. Oh, is that not the state of the church today? You walk it and you talk it and you wear it and you share it, but you don't get it. That's what Jesus is saying here. Weep for that. That's what he's saying. There were two other men, both criminals, and they were led out to be executed. They came to the place called the Skull. Luke doesn't mention the name of the place, but he does give the nickname. Golgotha is the place of the Skull. And they crucified him there, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. That is not talking about the prior that is reference to what's happening underneath his feet right now. And they divided up his clothes and cast lots. Jesus is doing what he's always done. Whether you forget me, I will have grace for you. When you hang me, stab me in the back, say you love me and act like you hate me, I will have grace for you. When you try to take my life, I will give life to you. When you divide my church, divide my belongings, divide families, I will pray for you. When Jesus was on the cross, he continued to do what he always does. Show grace to those who don't deserve it. I'm going to say it again for the people in the front and the people in the back. Jesus has grace for those who do not deserve it. That is all of us. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen ones. The soldiers came and mocked him, offered him wine vinegar to drink. Prophecies. It was prophesied that that's exactly what they would do. Give him cheap wine, vinegar wine. That was hundreds of years before. And they said, if you are the king of the Jews, listen to this line because this is the, this is the crux of the message. This is the final nugget of the strange passages. If you are the king of the Jews, listen to me, save yourself. There was written a notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. The sign above your head when you were crucified was supposed to say what crime you committed. Robber, thief, murderer, treason. Jesus's would have technically read treason because that's what he was 
convicted, if that's what you want to call convicted of, okay? But instead of writing treason, they wrote what they said he said they wanted to hear, right? Did you catch that? They wrote what they said he said they wanted to hear above his head as a mockery to him. King of the Jews. We gave you a chance to prove it. You didn't prove it. We gave you a chance to show it. You didn't show it. We're down here laughing at you now saying, if you are who you save you are, save yourself. Here is the epitome of selfishness. Right next to the epitome of selflessness. The last guy that I read nailed it. Nailed it. It is the rulers, listen to me, the rulers who mock him for not being able to save himself. And the wisest of the wise people stand in judgment because they have no idea what a true king, what a true authority, what true power is. It is giving up everything you have for others. Jesus is making the most strong statement he's ever made about what it takes to be a real king. He expressed his authority to do what nobody else could do. He gave his life for everyone else. Getting himself down on the cross doesn't show power. It shows selfishness. Getting himself down off the cross doesn't show obedience it shows disobedience. Getting himself down off the cross doesn't accomplish the mission. It is missionless. Living your life to gain for yourself is missionless. Climbing the ladder of success for yourself is selfishness. The call of Christ, the example of Christ, the death of Christ and the life of Christ were, will, and always will be selflessness. Obedient to God at all costs, proving the point at all costs, even when the rich, even when the religious don't understand. If you were king of the Jews, get yourself down. No, because I am king of the Jews, I will stay right here. Jesus exercised the most selfless act and the most powerful act that day by doing nothing. And in doing so, he accomplished everything. Listen to me, not for him. Let me ask you a question. As God... What did Jesus gain that day? Let me ask you another question. What did you gain that day? You catching it? What happened that day wasn't for him. It was for you. That's why he's king of the Jews. That's why he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why he stayed. Next week, we will see on display in a public picture 
that very thing in two choices, in two crosses, with two sinners. Let's pray. God, there should be no words. I have no, I have no words. other than thank you. Thank you. Thank you for not displaying your power and and in doing so, displaying all power. Thank you for not using your authority and in doing so, showing all authority on heaven and on earth given. Thank you for dying so that there can be living. God, I pray for myself and I pray for all believers in this room that they might understand these two incredibly important things. All believers should be in the business of living their lives for everyone else. Not to please everyone else, but for, to offer themselves, to help, to serve everyone else. And two, what is popular, what this world says is right, is not always right. God, you were very clear. If you obey me, if you follow me, if you listen to what I say, all of it will come to fruition. God, pour that into our hearts that you have never been wrong. You will never be wrong in the future. And if we follow you, we will have victory. In Jesus' name, and amen.